Hello and welcome to another episode of Soul Care with me, Angie Fatal. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I want to start with a land acknowledgement. Right now, my guest, Melissa, and I, we are six feet apart, sitting in my backyard, and we are in Portland, Oregon, and Multnomah County, where the traditional lands of the Multnomah, Kathlamet, Clackamas, and Cowlitz bands of Chinook, Tualatin, Kalapuya, Malala, and many other tribes who made their homes along the Columbia River. Today, people from these bands have become part of the Confederated Tribes of the Grand Ronde and the Confederated Tribes of the Silets Indians, as well as the Chinook Nation and the Cowlitz Nation in Washington. This land is unceded territory. They did not give it to us, we took it. I'm here with my friend, Melissa Trombetta Soli, and she has a very unique job. And that job is something that I sort of understand. She's told me a lot about it, but I still don't fully understand it. But I want her to introduce herself so you will understand what she does. All right. So, yeah, my name is Melissa and I hold a master's in social work. And that's, I guess, given me like opportunity to do a lot of different jobs And the last job I've landed on is working for the state of Oregon, training um, all the police here in our state at the Academy for Public Safety. So this is the place where the police officers and firefighters and um, dispatch and parole officers, like the whole public safety network, as they like to call themselves. For emergency, like... Are they part of that? EMS isn't part of it, but firefighters are. Yeah. Um, get trained. And that's like where right now there's all that conversation about how much training should police officers get. And a lot of that has to do with the training here in our state of Oregon. So I started, I guess, this job a couple, four years ago. And it was just on a contract with another job I had. So they just sent me down once a month to teach. So I just kind of got thrown in the first time I was like do they know who I am like do they know that I hate cops <laughs> uh and I felt like I they de- looked me up I know I was like do they know who they're getting so I figured out how to train there and it was just part of my job so once a month I'd go down and I liked it because it was different from what I was doing I'd been teaching you know teenagers and yeah. can you flesh out what you mean by training yeah so it is a curriculum um But because I've been there now for four years, I've had a chance to play a role in that curriculum development, Mm, So, which has been pretty amazing. So when I started four years ago, contracted with a different job, they had handed me the curriculum. I'd watched a previous coworker deliver it. um, And I had 10 million questions about what we were training. So it's their mental health awareness, which has now been changed to behavioral health awareness. it's gone through a lot of changes in four years that I've been there. And even prior to that, it went through a lot of changes. So we're in a certain iteration now. Uh, but the training is a part of their 16 week course where they get trained in like a million things. And one component is the behavioral health component. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, it is 26 hours of behavioral health work. When I started, it was eight hours. Oh my God. Yeah, and prior to it being eight hours, it was four hours, and prior to that, it was zero. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, it's gone through a massive change. Don't target people. Okay, turn Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. (laughs) Done. Yeah. Don't don't call them crazy. Might have been the previous training. Yeah, so it's been in, like, a lot of iterations. Um, I guess the other thing to know about that training is that it is all legislated. It is the only training component so the mental health behavioral health component of the basic training that police officers in our state get nothing is mandated except for their behavioral health unit so that so means that everything go... else is up for yeah okay go ahead. discussion yeah yeah so, also it kind of shows the urgency yeah. of the situation if that's the only thing that's mandated. and the reason it was mandated so that 24 hours became mandated Actually, so it's 24 hours mandated, but the Academy has added two more. feeling very generous. Um, It was mandated based on a lot of what was happening with Portland police 
after if anybody was around Portland in the early 2000s there was a lot of conversation you remember this about like the killing murdering and just kind of brutal approach to severely mentally ill people oh yeah I've I've been in my own neighborhood this was like a couple years ago um you know over by new season so fourth of a mile from my house driving home in the early evening and there was a guy across the street from where I was and I was sure that he was having a psychotic episode because he was dodging behind things and I was like I'm not calling the cops yeah and I hope he's safe I did a little prayer that I I hope that he's safe and but nope not not calling the cops and now I feel like I do those prayers a lot too when I see somebody who I make an assumption doesn't live in a house and is outside and sometimes I see people who I'm like I wonder if they're having an overdose I wonder Mm. if they're having a psychotic episode I wonder what's happening and then I think well that's all I can do which is totally bullshit yeah well you can't stop I know (laughs) really if you're a lady by yourself well and that brings up kind of the issue that has come up a lot in my training yeah is uh, police officers even uh, often will recognize that they wish there was other safety nets available. Mm-hmm. And because there are none, they know that they're thrown in. But, you know, there is a, I mean, we just said it, like it's not really safe feeling for just anybody to show up. Yeah. So how, like that's the conversation I have in my own head, like probably all day and even in my dreams of like, what does it look like in the country that we live in now? Mm. Not the idealized version, not in like yeah. another country, in our country. What is the solution yeah. when we have zero safety nets? And I talk about that in that training yeah. a lot. Yes, because there aren't. And that's what, I think that's the main thing that people are fighting for with the abolish the police is if they're it's it is about the police and I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination so I hope that as this you know talking to you but then also talking to other people that will come later Mm -hmm. in this month there are people that know much more than I do have been way more involved in the protest than I've been than I've been involved But I do know it is about abolishing the system that is in place because the system is based in white supremacy and it's racist. And also it's about setting up other structures that can help people. And I think that's the, you know, I'm not saying that anything that anybody doesn't know already, that's the problem with the American society is you have to value human life to think those things are necessary and important. And I would even take that maybe even farther because I think a lot, (laughs) okay, fine. We're done. (laughs) I think that any, like, just for example, I think about this all the time. So I go, I'm down there several times a month, like once a week I go down and, and work with these police officers. Where are you going to Salem? It's in Salem. Yeah, that's like where the... That's our capital for those that don't know Oregon. Our beautiful capital, Salem, oh. Oregon. Um, you know, we would say something like, and I say we probably being like more liberally minded and whatever, more social justice warrior type folk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they, those guys down there and women who come from a variety of places would probably say, oh, I value human life very deeply. You know, like I, they would probably say I'm very decent and I work with very decent fine folks. And I have found myself really trying to like connect on that human level that we are all human. And that's one of the things I've started adding just actually since since the protests have started when I talk to them I'm like, this part of this training is not just empathy and compassion building, but it's a human, we're, tr- we're, remem- we're remembering that everybody is a human yeah. and just as human as you are. And we talk about like how these people who are fully psychotic living on the street were once 
the children of somebody mm-hmm. that at one point maybe they had a safety net of a mom and dad who maybe died and now mm-hmm. they're left with nothing because our country offers nothing yeah. so I try to like bring little socialist ideas and mm-hmm. every once in a while yeah. you know of saying like if we continue down this path these people have no safety net you are yeah. their only safety net and you're telling me that you don't even feel like you can do anything because the truth is you can't no we teach them de-escalation yeah. how to talk somebody down how to listen to somebody who might be manic how to do all these different things how to sort of recognize general mental health stuff but what they're left is what are we supposed to do with them yeah yeah and i think one of the things that i was also talking about is i don't think it's i'm not going to get into you know I'm not going to get into what I think about the police. I think it's pretty obvious, and I've said what yeah. I think. It's, if I take the police out of it and individual humans out of the equation, right. it is the system. It is the system, and yes. And that's more what I meant. The system doesn't give a shit about humans. That's right. That's, that I can I mean, totally agree that's with. That's why we have, like, corporations getting human benefits instead mm-hmm. of humans actually getting the exactly. benefits. Exactly, exactly. Because we don't care about humans, but we like to say that it's an equal, you know, everybody has access, everybody has the same, you know, starts from the same point on the the racetrack, and that's not true. Exactly. So, for me, yes, there's humans involved, and humans keep a system going, but even bigger than that, it's the systems that need to be dismantled. Yeah. And because that's what I'm learning too. The system, the system devours not only black and brown bodies, obviously devours black and brown bodies way more than white bodies, but it devours white supremacy is white supremacy. It's devouring everything. Yeah. Right, and it devours those who are mentally ill and yep. poor and, and disabled. And, and Yeah, and, like it goes yeah. on and on. Yeah. Right. And I think, I guess like one of the things I am thinking about now all the time is I feel like we have two really staunch sides that have developed. You have like, you know, your protester, social justice folks who are like doing the right thing. And we've decided now that anybody who isn't on that side is like the other and we demonize them all the time. And we say like, you know, all cops are bastards. We say all these things that are probably true, but doesn't seek to like bring about the change that I would love to see. And I think this is where I have really struggled is I am, even though I work with police officers, I don't think I'm sympathetic to the system because I'm really critical of it and I'm pretty critical of it actually in front of them too so I feel like I've been able to say stuff but then I think how do you actually actualize change and I am at this weird place where I wonder do you actualize change by saying really harsh words about people that are probably true Or do you try to like build bridges between the two? And I feel like I want to be some kind of bridge builder, but then does that make me like a sympathizer to like the devil? Mm -hmm. Yeah, You know, I don't know. And I feel if I say too much at different times, I feel like I'm saying too much here or I'm saying too much on the other side. And I feel like I'm in this weird in-between place where I, like my job is just my job. And it's arguably the best job I've ever had because I really enjoy it. And I'm paid properly for the first time in my whole entire career. And there's all these things. But it's just my job. But outside of that, it's like, I don't know if we actualize change in our system by just building bigger walls. And I feel like that's what's happening in a lot of ways. And I feel a lot of feelings, like even in my body, like Mm -hmm. I feel this like, oh, And I understand being mad and I understand being angry and all of that. It's like, it takes its natural course. And right now people are pissed. And a lot of people are for the first time seeing things that they never really recognize. So that first timeness is, I think, part of the anger. Well, I think there's a, I think, you know, this. there's an element to it as well. That's like, none of this is new. Right. This is historic and has gone on 
even before this country was a nation. So it's not, none of it's new. There's been a lot of bridges built. And then there's been going back. I mean, if we would have done what we said we were gonna do after the Civil War, it's possible that our country could look a lot different than right. it does. But we just got craftier at making right. slavery legal. Right. So I hear what you're saying, and I believe reconciliation, reconciliation of some kind has to be the way forward because you cannot completely cut yourself off from... You know, I hope it's not half of our population, but you can't completely mm-hmm. cut yourself off of a big portion of your population yeah. that believes a certain way. Right. But um, I don't know what that looks like. And I mean, I think what it could look like is people that have not been listened to are, you know, it's filled with the people that should have been listened to this whole time and roles of power. That's the only way it would change, I think, is the highest power that you can give people is flooded with black and brown people. That's right. Queers, trans, women. Yeah. And then, because I think that's the thing, is people have gotten so far with working together, like grassroots stuff, and then they get to this place and somebody just... Says no. Yeah, it's like it's like what our mayor mayor was like. Oh well, we're gonna cut out mm-hmm. this much of our police budget, and we're like that is fucking drop in a, in the bucket. But here's what's so crazy to me. Totally, it's nothing. It's it's like giving like pennies to the poor and being like, aren't we so great? Yeah. We're like so generous. Um, this is the problem though. Is like we can slash our police budget, which is what's happening right now, around in different cities, and it's an interesting first step. Because with no other programs in place, it is going to create, and this is just my hypothesis, and I'm obviously like totally could be wrong, it is going to create chaos. Because we have relied on these agents of the law to, you know, do do the stuff that we've expected them to do. Um, And when that budget falls short, and I know that they're going to be kind of a fuck you to the people, and they're like, okay, do you know who we're going to cut? to cut whoever the fuck we want we're gonna cut the people who do this service this service mm-hmm. whatever because police do have like um, these like narrow tracks they can go into yeah. you know they can cut their behavioral health unit if they want they can do whatever they want um which would be stupid but they could do that they're gonna leave a certain amount of chaos mm-hmm. and there will probably be some so quick like a- yeah it's gonna be crazy and there will be a huge swing back and um People say, oh, my God, now what do we do? Now there's nobody to call or, like, now we're short on this and whatever's going to happen. And I think it's going to set us up for failure. And it makes me think I listened to uh, on OPB, you know, Think Out Loud with Dave mm-hmm. Miller, my favorite show ever. Dave, if you're listening, she has a massive voice crush on you. Voice crush. I got to meet him in real life. So excited. I was the like. The doors that this job has opened up. Oh, I know. I was like, oh, my God, Dave, Hi. <laughs> But he just interviewed the folks who are trying to start the Portland, uh, what is it called? Crisis response, Portland street, street response. It's like what Eugene has. Yeah. So we have, and that's the other thing is like, we're always, all these systems are like overlap and who they take care of. And again, I'm talking about the behavioral health and mental health thing, which actually is connected to, but not completely connected to how we treat black and brown people Mm -hmm. in this country. It's related, but it's not exactly connected in all ways. Um, But for example, there was supposed to be money thrown at this program like year, two years ago, and it keeps getting delayed and delayed. It was supposed to open in March, this new program that was gonna be a pilot that was really like a wrap around service that would have a medic and a mental health worker going out together not a police officer <clears throat> and now that's being delayed another year because they were like we don't want to just throw a program out that isn't thought through there's so many components in this bureaucracy and system that have to be in place for it to be a success and then and you I think that, change takes a long time but why can't you 
copy mm. Eugene's and expand it. Theirs has been successful. It has been really successful, but again, it's embedded within the system that Eugene has. So in a siloed system, in terms yeah. of how dispatch works, how you create a new channel on a radio that everybody can connect with, how you create new protocol and a new database for services. That makes my head hurt. I know. <laughs> That's what all that requires. And then it yeah. turns out the database is going to be half empty because we don't have shit for anybody. Yeah. You know, I mean, if somebody is at the risk of being homeless and has an eviction issue, there's nothing we can provide them really. Yeah. No. If cause... they're already homeless, we have no shelter space. If they're hungry, we can offer them a food box and a yeah. hotel voucher for the night, but they're all band-aids. Yeah. So it's like the whole thing is just so fucked. It's just yeah. the worst, yeah. you know? So everybody feel better now. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, what we need is civil war. We just need yeah. to create Cascadia and then the rest. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't know. I'd like to die before that happens. <laughs> I know. I don't want to live I, I laugh, but I think about that a lot because it feels like some systems are hard to rebuild. Oh, yeah. I mean. But maybe easier to rebuild from nothing than to rebuild within what we have because what we have is inequitable. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree. And then I also think other countries have done it without civil war. Yeah, but here's the other thing that I think... Don't rain on my parade. <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> Let's stay down. Let's stay down here. It's true. Other countries have done it, but they also... When I think about places I would rather live, <laughs> they don't have a second amendment. That's true. That, but that doesn't mean it can't be done with a second amendment. I mean, I think our biggest problem is we don't learn from other people. We never do. No. And we are the not best. Just, not just... Yeah, it is America, but it's also what's going on in the European Union right now. Yeah. I mean, there hasn't been a precedent for the European Union, but, you know, we can, it's like, I kept thinking when the, you know, different floods have happened because of natural disasters. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this did happen, but I'm like, why aren't you on the hotline to Holland yeah. to get the people that are keeping Engineered that country their, mm-hmm. out of the water. Because they're literally the below lowlands. Sea, yeah, they are below sea level. Um, yeah. But we just, we don't do that. And it no. makes, I mean, the reason I, I don't, my my only real reason for not wanting, I mean, other than I don't want to live through anything worse than I'm living through, but is that these situations disproportionately and that that word does not even fit affect the poor Mm -hmm. and people that are already maxed out yeah and i mean i've been saying this a lot i don't even know if covid has affected anybody that's like in not even the one percent but in that yeah because it's not going to affect you if you're continuing to make money yeah it's only going to affect the people that's jobs are kind of shaky already yeah, or mm-hmm. you know you're in an industry that now is going to become obsolete mm-hmm. which i don't know what industry that is i mean there's been a lot of industries that trump tried to say that we're still going to go so right anyway right it's true it's like the right the the poor are always at highest risk for any kind of changes that happen. Yeah. I mean, I it's the most vulnerable that are yep. affected by this, that are affected by fire. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, the climate change. Yeah. So I guess my question for you would be, I mean, just in the conversations that you and I have had around your jo- job, I mean, you get excited by your job. And it is nice to have a job where it's challenging and exciting and shouldn't even be, shouldn't even be an issue, but you're actually getting paid to do, (laughs) you're getting paid a wage that's fair. Right. Um, How do you, I don't even know my question. I guess my question is how do you live in that in between? Mm Because that's. It's almost like it's liminal space mm-hmm. because you can't bite the hand that feeds you, mm-hmm. but you have a beautiful and unique opportunity to help people 
and I have to believe that there are people that really want to handle those situations better. Mm-hmm. Nobody is comfortable. I mean, unless you just have law or you're in such denial that you're just gun first. And I know there are people mm-hmm. like that. But there are lots of people that really are caring. And I'm talking about people in general, not necessarily police. But I don't want to end up in a situation where somebody's escalated. Like, remember where you and Ryan used to live? Mm-hmm. That intersection, Brennan and mm. I were right by the. There's always something happening. Mm-hmm. So we're driving up from Adidas, and Brennan goes, Looks like those two guys are fighting. And there's a guy with a huge floppy hat that's got a beard and looks like kind of like hippie. Mm-hmm. And neither of them necessarily look like they lived outside. They may have, I don't know. I know that that's kind of a hub because there's a lot of places that you can kind of get away from houses right. and live. And um, we're driving up the hill, and as we get closer, the guy with the floppy hat has a, has something. Their guy, the other guy has a stick and is hitting the guy with the floppy hat. Ah. I think the guy was just trying to get to his bike. I have no idea what was happening. Both probably in their mid-20s. But we're like, we can't stop. We're just two. two ladies. Yeah. Plus, even though they're white guys, I don't want to call the cops. But those situations, I want to be able to get, maybe, get out of my car and, and I guess what I'm trying to say is most people want to be able to know how to de-escalate and, and separate a situation like that and keep both people intact as best as they can because you feel in danger when you don't know how to do that. So I guess what I'm asking you is how do you live in that liminal space? And maybe you don't. Maybe you're just trying to figure it out like we all are. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I get like pits in my stomach a lot on my way to work. <laughs> yeah. And I think I'll, I get, uh, you know, there was a, a minute where I wondered if I should quit because it didn't feel like I was... It didn't feel right to continue doing something that I just felt really, like, almost sick about. Yeah. But then I have these really amazing interactions every time Mm -hmm. that I think, I mean, probably somebody else could have had that react, you know, they could hire somebody else to do, because they'll have to need somebody else to do. That's the thing is like, well, then they would just hire somebody else (laughs) to do the work, which would be fine. Um, But like, okay, for example, I think maybe this is what you're asking is like what keeps me going or thinking it's okay to keep at it. Well, and it's kind of both and it's not just keep at your job, but you have to go home from that. Right. And you have friends that are protesting. Totally. You have friends that are targets by the police. Exactly. Exactly. That you love and care about. Exactly. Totally. I feel like, well, so half the time I feel like a traitor, but I think I'd feel more like a traitor if I didn't feel like I had opportunities to say things. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, you are in a unique position. Yeah. So, okay, so here's a good example, I think. So part of my job is classroom work. So it's eight hours in the classroom broken up in two days. And then it's um, 16 hours of uh, role-playing, they call scenario training. Yeah. So we have role-players who come, and then the police officers try to de-escalate folks who have mental illness and are showing signs of mental illness, whether it's signs of psychosis or signs of depression or suicidality or mm-hmm. anxiety. Um, and then we debrief. So yeah. that's another big part of my job. So one of these role players, she has been um, around for a long time. She's, I think she's a little older, so maybe in her late sixties, early seventies. And she was my role player that day. And, um, she was a total hoot and we had these great conversations in the breaks like between groups that would come in and she kept saying I'm having so much fun talking to you this is so great and I was like yeah you're like a hoot like she was just kind of a riot and uh so then it was like the end of the day ish we still had a couple groups to come through and she's like well you live in Portland with all these I mean I just can't even stomach these protesters they just hate cops and I don't even know how they could you know went on and I was yeah. like okay here's my chance you know I was like I got three minutes the next group comes in <laughs> three minutes to make all my points and so you know we started talking and I was like I'm 
I would like to offer you like another version of what's happening. Um, and as we talked and I shared some of my ideas, she literally said to me, oh, I hadn't thought of it that way. Maybe I should get off Facebook and hearing only one side of the story. And then I felt really like my heart was like racing a little bit, like in my, like I was like, Ugh, there's so much I want to yeah. say, but I knew we only had a certain amount of time to talk. That next group came through. And at the end of the day, she was like, I really appreciated talking to you. That was really helpful. So I was like, well, here's one lady, you know, who's older, been around the block, loves her back in the blue, back in the blue lifestyle. Even though she had just told me all these things about herself, I was like, it's interesting that you're back in the blue. You're like a total atheist. You've had this yeah. wild life. I was, you know, we shared all yeah. these things. I was like, well, that's interesting. And I've also had police officers like in class come up to me and be like, this is really valuable information. I didn't know any of this. And, it, and, and like, thank you for being here. You know, you have these like moments or questions that come up in class or when I get a chance to be on my pedestal and say a little something, I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna have a little soapbox moment. And then I like tell them why our safety nets have crumbled and fallen. And yeah. since, you know, we talk about the context of why police officers are currently the ones to come into these situations where they don't obviously belong. And it's uh, the history that starts in the 50s of defunding all mental health care. Mm -hmm. The money disappeared to the community care that it was supposed to go to. Then we make a bunch of jokes about the government can't manage money, you know. And then we talk about, I've started adding, I was like, and also in the 80s when we had Reagan, there was a complete thought that the government should not provide services for people. That that should be done through maybe nonprofits, or but the government should keep their hands off. Mm-hmm. And that's how we've come to the place today where yeah. when somebody sees a person in front of their business who maybe is in a moment of psychosis where they shouldn't even be in a moment of psychosis anyway because they should be housed and medicated and taken care of, which is humane, they call the police who then have literally nothing they can do. Yeah. You can barely bring a person to the hospital anymore because our hospitals will turn them away. Yeah. There's no insurance since we don't have. So I bring all this up. We don't have, we don't have insurance for people. We, people can't stand their meds if they can't afford their meds. Yeah. Um, uh, in the case of domestic violence or in the case of drugs, you know, the big conversation is the reason often people are using drugs or selling drugs or have anything to do with drugs is because there's unresolved trauma in their life. And a lot of that unresolved trauma comes from the fact that maybe they weren't housed. Maybe there's mm -hmm. domestic violence in their life. We talk about ACEs, which I brought into the curriculum, the adverse childhood experiences. Yeah. So now we talk about like you are going to be encountering people and you also might be a victim of mm -hmm. having adverse childhood experiences and some people cope in ways that aren't really awesome but that's why you know it's like you have to understand yeah. why the people are struggling in the first place to have some empathy but i think for a police officer it helps them say oh yeah i shouldn't even be the one responding because we should have had a system in place already yeah well, you and know it seems it, like that conversation doesn't come up very much yeah. there. And a lot of them are like, oh, really? You know, and it's sort of like bringing up this idea that, like, there's another way to be. Well, and it's almost like you're, 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 you're doing diplomacy by going, it's, it's not just set up against the people that you're supposed to be serving. It's set up against you. Mm -hmm. So if enough people can hang on to the fact that the system is set up against everybody that it's supposed to be serving and the server maybe we can have a different system that is like what my like most hopeful thing so in response to your question of like how do I keep doing the thing with them is that I think it's like well maybe one of these people will hear something and be like oh that's a different way to think about it than all my comrades talk about it. <laughs> so maybe someday when I'm sergeant and have some control over anything here, maybe we like step up, mm -hmm. you know, maybe there's more critical thinking. Cause I think what's become very apparent to me is that law enforcement simply enforces the law that was already in place. They are not there to criticize the law or mm -hmm. to think critically about what law they're implementing, which I think is why a riot cop is able to, just fucking tear gas their shit out of people oh, so because all they would yeah. say is I'm just enforcing. Well, and it's interesting the too. the rule that my yeah. commander because that's the hierarchy. Mm -hmm. They aren't they aren't said like, well you you use however much tear gas you think is appropriate today. 
Yeah. That's not or what is happening. How starting with zero tear start, gas with, yeah. and conversation, but they're not trained no, in conversation. And all those enforcers are told to do is to enforce. Yeah. And somewhere along the line, that was a decision that they would simply be mindless enforcers. Do you know how, I mean, because the thing that's been interesting, like, not interesting to me, but has been, made me very enraged. It's like, somebody can say from the top, like our governor, mm-hmm. no more tear gassing your people. It's not allowed. Yeah. No more tear gassing. And then Ted Wheeler, our mayor, goes down there, gets tear gassed, which I don't feel bad for him. No, of course not. Plus, we're a different that was a mask. weird publicity stunt, but yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then he continues to support the tear gassing of his own citizens. While out of one corner of his mouth saying, I don't support the tear gassing. Yeah, he's, he's such a big liar. But that's the thing. Not right. just him, but like, how if, you're, if your governor is saying, no more tear gassing our people, stop. Do you still tear gas Do you still people? tear gas people? Because that seems like that a higher seems... law. I mean, I think that is a really good point. I don't know. I have really struggled to understand because I still don't really know, of course, what it's like to actually work in the ranks of law yeah. enforcement. Is how they justify... I think what they do is they wait for somebody to do one thing that's considered a misdemeanor and at that moment it triggers off a now we're in a riot and under riot you're allowed to do whatever you want yeah right so if it was if there were no fireworks thrown or there was no you know i don't even know how they I think justify the key it word is consider because i've been down there and i think there's a lot of hoping something's gonna happen and yeah. actually antagonizing yeah. and then people are still being peaceful yeah. and like trying to get it so that you're catching people off guard and um yeah i mean when i mean we're in this now i haven't gone in a while because my excuse is and i think it's a valid one i'm trying to move somebody into college Mm -hmm. um but you know when trump got elected we had all those peaceful protests and and i'm not somebody who needs a protest to be peaceful Mm -hmm. i am a i just my personality i do better in a peaceful situation um or doing like medic support or something like having Mm -hmm. a job and these were protests that were happening marches that were happening in the middle of the day tons of old people and kids and then nobody was doing anything i mean there was a native american woman that was leading the protest with like sage and it was just a beautiful like all these old people this is before we had to wear masks (laughs) and then all of a sudden just out of nowhere just total crop dusting of tear gas and i'm like what is going on and it feels like from that point you're talking about like from the time of like the women's marches. Yeah, and when that Trump whole, got elected, yeah, and I, we were out. Yeah, yes, I started going to more and more things. So you're talking then, about like contrasting that to like what yeah, is happening now. Yeah, like it now. started yeah. there, and I don't see much difference mm-hmm, in yeah. what I've seen, you know, down at the federal building, except it's happening at night, and I understand that things that happen at night, it's harder for people to see. But I mean, banging on a fence is not the same there the and i'm not explaining anything to you you know this Mm -hmm. the reaction should not be tear gassing people yeah but i just wondered if you knew that because i i've been like i don't think the governor has ultimate power but i have gone what good is her job if she can say don't do this and it still happens that's something that was very confusing to me too and I've been listening to what our new DA is talking about, you know, talk about like in the, in the continuity of law enforcement, you have the prosecutors and the district attorneys off, you know, like yeah. who now enforces the law. And he's saying, well, we're not going to charge misdemeanors. We'll charge the felonies. The misdemeanors we're going to let go. Yeah. We have, which the police. Yeah. Friends that have been charged with felonies. I know. That were literally, we have a friend that was, a woman was getting beaten up by cops who went to help her up and the cops beat the shit out of him and he has a felony now and he's 
Brennan's friend and her age. You know him. I'm I not do. Gonna say his name. Yeah. Him. No, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I. Um, that it's seems like, like retaliatory. It does. It seems retaliatory, and so that is a part of the system that's very confusing to me too. Of like, when you say we're not going to charge these particular misdemeanors we're going to let those go it then the cops say well what's the point of us going out here so who's talking to who and i'd like to know that line of command yeah. too because that feels a little bit confusing who's telling who to do what if the final yeah. thing because a police officer knows that the the final thing that they have is that is prison yeah. jail or fines like that's kind of the ultimate thing that they can threaten somebody with yeah. they can beat them but then after that once they go to jail or whatever Which i thought they weren't allowed to beat us but apparently they are allowed apparently. to Apparently. And all that's what all this has <laughs> right, and that's what all this has brought up. But I wanted to actually go back to something that yeah. I feel like has been a little bit of a mind opener for me. You go. Um I think I didn't always understand how police officers justify using brutal force or deadly force as mm-hmm. how they like to talk about it. And because the system is set up and we all know this now, to protect police officers when they use deadly force. Part of it is that they are supposed to make assessments. And by the way, there's posters of, it's called Graham's Use of Force Law. And it's all over the academy. So these big posters, they're written all over. And they're supposed to make assessments on deadly force before another person issues deadly force against the police officer. So this is, I think, why they get off all the time from any charges, is that they're told and they're protected by the law. And we as people hopefully get an opportunity to change these laws if we vote the oh, right way. Please, so, God. We don't know what's going to happen. But it's my understanding is the law says if you suspect that there's a possibility that they will use deadly force against you, you have so the law on your side mm-hmm, that you can use deadly force first. And this is why I talked about the Second Where Amendment. Where is the protect and serve? But this is why I talk about why when you're in a country where the primary thing that we rally around is the ability to have our own guns mm-hmm. and our own knives. Yes. And this yeah. is what makes us different from other countries is like there is an assumption made by police officers and it's a false assumption in many cases as we know but that everybody has a gun yeah and in a country where everybody can have a gun the mentality is well you go out every night and you go out to serve and protect your community and sometimes that'll put you in the line of fire because police officers get killed on the job often also that when you are your job is to come home to your family every night that's kind of what they tell each other all the time And if that means you have to use deadly force, as long as you can essentially justify it in a country where everybody has a gun, Mm -hmm. that's, you know, and this is where I feel like we're in a really weird spot. Everybody wants to change the law right now, talk about brutal police, but we don't want to talk about that everybody has a right to bear arms in this country. And as long as people can bear arms, the police will bear arms too, because you meet fire with fire. And this is like the crux of like, when you go in to talk about changing the system, I'm like, the system is so deeply, it's worked this way. Mm-hmm. Well, and we've been, How trying, do you... we've been trying to change that gun law yep. for years. And it doesn't matter how many kids get killed. It doesn't matter how many suicides happen by, and it doesn't matter that by guns. 80% of yep. our population, maybe even more now want strict gun laws. I know. I think it's right. interesting, too, and we're not going to get into this, but I just yeah. do want to make a little bit of a point where I completely hear what you're saying, and I do understand the fear, because that is a fear at protest. I do think it's also telling that you can go into a group of white guys bearing arms yep, and shooting right. into the air and not do a fucking thing. That is a really good point. And also shoot people. You know, none of us are oblivious to all of the mass murderers that have been white, guys that have, you know, gunned down children in schools, and the treatment of white boys who kill people versus the treatment of black people being in their bodies. So we do know that it is, there is truth, complete truth to what you're saying, and also... If people don't deal with their racism, yeah, because that is what that is. That is racism. Yeah. 
and and it is uncomfortable to look at your racism. It is. I mean, I don't enjoy having to look at the things yeah. that I've said over the course of my life, the times when Same. I've been silent and I should have said yeah. something. It is not comfortable. But we have got to get uncomfortable. I know. I do want to switch gears. Yeah. And I want I to ask you a little bit. I didn't prep you for this, but I do want to ask you a couple questions. One is, how do you, I mean, it's different for other people in the United States, but we are in a, we've been in a unique situation of people, for people in the Northwest, because we haven't only had the pandemic to deal with, but we've also had forest fires. There's so many things going on in our, just our environment where we live right now. I'm wondering what, and it can be the stupidest thing and the most embarrassing thing, but what are you doing to get through it? How are you feeding your soul? What are you doing to kind of maintain? Because you also have two little people mm-hmm. that you have to somehow spare. We have to shield them from all of our yeah. anxiety. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's been... It's funny, like, sometimes I can try to pretend that nothing, like, I'm pretty good at compartmentalizing, and so there's definitely, like, days and even weeks that go by where I'm like, it's fine, like, look, we have a house that keeps us safe, and look, we have food, and and I can be really optimistic, and my daughter actually has been doing surprisingly well, probably better than she had the previous two years when we were really going, going through the ringer with her own with her own mental health and uh, school issues. So she's actually doing really well. So sometimes I can think really positively about like, wow, look how far we've come as a family and not think about like the bigger, horrible things that are happening. But just like the more tangible things. Um, Been having a lot of dance parties (laughs) with Clementine. We now have like movement breaks. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, uh, Clementine was able to save up a hoverboard so she has a hoverboard so she tried to get me on it the other day and that was pretty hilarious <laughs> yeah, that was a one and is only it mainly using your core um i there's like some core stuff to make a hoverboard work and i think you have to trust that it is going to move like it's like a mind she's I've like mom she's like mom you just think it and it tells you it, it just knows you just think you use the force yeah it's like the force <laughs> like you just tell it to go forward but in your mind and i'm like i don't think that's what's happening <laughs> to her it is and it's working i know she's like a graceful glider on that <laughs> crazy thing but yeah like lots of dance parties as much outside time i don't know at the end of the day i i really don't know watching mindless shows I've actually been reading more fiction so I think for me that has been a new escape that I didn't know I liked I've always been like into reading really intense like you and Jessica my sister things and now I'm like I read a book about vampires and dragons and they loved each other (laughs) my sister hated fiction yeah I never I will never read yeah it's a waste of time and now she's like only fiction I know it's like pretend yeah I've always I love it all yeah, it's like something really new for me. Actually, I think about, uh, so do you remember years ago, Angie, you had us do the journaling mm-hmm. workshop and you'd created the curriculum. That wasn't the journaling workshop, but it was, what would you call it? The transformation groups. Yes. And at the end of totally that group, transformed. I was totally transformed. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> no, but I want to say this because it's really true. I went through the whole thing and at the end we were supposed to find like self-care, um, things or spiritual practices that worked for us Mm -hmm. and I was like ugh alone time gross labyrinth walks blah like time alone in the forest ew I just want to hang out all the time with people like total extrovert you know I know and so I was like I don't have spiritual practices because I don't need them and they're dumb really that's how I felt you never told me that that's how I felt I was like I don't know what those are and they don't appeal to me at all and now it's like I crave like a deep spiritual longing has bubbled up in me for the first time in like a long time mm. where I have even wondered if I would like to participate in some kind of, uh, I don't know, spiritual 
something. Like I feel like I am lacking in something. Mm. And I actually had gone to see a life coach uh, four years ago when I was pregnant and having a real life crisis. And she, and she was really amazing. And she was like, do you have any spiritual practices? And I was like, I grew up in the church. Blech, I hate it all. <laughs> and she was like, I think you should consider like looking into what that could be for you. And I was like, no, thanks. I'm fine. And it's like, you're such an idiot. <laughs> it's true. I was like, no, I'm thanks. fine. I'm fine. I just get I angry nothing. sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I just get angry in my car. I'm fine. And then, then I drink wine. It's fine. Um, anyways, it's become really apparent to me that none of those things are like working for me anymore. Plus I've been cut off from a lot of those things because yeah. I'm a pretty social person. Um, anyway, so I think a new longing has come up in me where I was even looking at like churches the other day and wondering if I could go to some kind of sit in a pew don't talk to other people kind of well, church. You can't do that now. I know, <laughs> I know, I know. But I was like, I was like, maybe when all this is over and like we can go to church again, maybe I would just on a Sunday like to go and be by myself. Mm. I like don't even know if I want my family to come with. I just like have longed, and maybe this is also a longing of just like being around people all day that are my children, like hanging on my body yeah. and my husband having yeah. needs, and I'm like, Wah. yeah. Like I just yeah. want to have, like I want to go into a hill and just like communicate with God in a way I've never wanted to before. Yeah. So I think with maybe what in answer to your question it's like I have like a new longing for not just peace and quiet but maybe like spiritual peace and quiet yeah which is something I've never wanted in my life really <laughs> I've never wanted it that's so interesting it's like I want to sing hymns oh I don't want to do that I don't know but that's, but that's what like, that's also what, I know hymns every week so totally but I, it's like Ben's I think maybe like my time away has been enough to make me want to come back yeah. or something well, that I mean, that makes complete sense to me. It's kind of uncomfortable to to say, but yeah. I mean, one of the things that I say on here is, or not everybody that I interview is, has a belief system. Like, everybody has a belief system, but, you know, might not be practicing any kind of religious practice. Right. But I feel like, in the core of myself, I feel like everybody benefits from some kind of spiritual practice, some kind of century. And I think the thing that has surprised me is I have a lot of things that I have gone to that I've learned through therapy or just things that help me like move trauma out of my body or whatever it is. And when the pandemic first started, you know, I was meditating every morning and I was sitting back in our backyard where you and I are and drinking my coffee and reading my books quickly (laughs) that became and then I was adding stuff that became something that wasn't really working for me and I do have a practice of kind of trying to listen to what Mm. actually is working Mm -hmm. because my first thing usually is I not necessarily guilt but I you know I want to be a meditator Mm -hmm. you know and I realized a few months ago that I spent a lot of time back here just looking at these Douglas fir trees and watching the wind blow Mm. through them and that's my meditation practice right now. I, I think that... I'm not saying you aren't longing for a spiritual thing. You could be longing for church. Um, you could be longing for community that... I think sometimes we long when we've grown up a certain way. Or maybe not the way we've grown up, but way, the way that... What the bridge was t- trying to nurture is you could have dissenting views... Right. And come together and talk about it. You, you know, you could be trying to work something out and not have the answers. Um, that's what I long for. And I do get a lot of those conversations in spiritual direction. But if I wasn't getting that with people, that would be what I... Let's talk about deep things and also sing. I know a lot of people can do a community without music. But music is just is so centering to me. I think maybe that's the other thing is like realizing that all these things that I didn't know I relied on. I mean, the truth is having two small kids, I probably haven't like gone to a show in a long time or had that communal music experience anyway. So maybe there's some longing for that just in like the grand scheme of my life, having loved music forever. And you and Amy Grant in the car. Oh my God. I know. I can't help it. I just like living in an old man's (laughs) rubble. Yes. Did you see her latest post about RBG? No. Highly contentious. Lots oh. of comments. Ooh, of course, I, I follow her that. on Instagram. All these people were like, how could you, Amy? She supported abortion. Do you not support unborn women? And I was like, ah, 
triggering for me oh. a little bit. Um, go out, Amy. But I was like, way to go, Amy. She's always pushing it just a teensy, weensy, yeah. weensy, teensy, weensy bit. So much that people yeah. can't handle it, which I love. <laughs> anyway. Like when she got her divorce. I know. So she definitely not a Christian. Gone to hell. To people. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> Amy sidebar. What were we talking about? Um you know musical experience oh right so like something that does bring together so maybe i'm also longing for that sort of just communal experience that we just don't we're we're all just lacking you know and that is becoming apparent but i also really crave stillness and quiet and i think part of that i think is just the 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 non-stopness of my parenting Mm -hmm. it's probably why i like my job so much is i get to leave yeah. <laughs> like once a week I get yeah, to leave my house. Yeah, you get to house, be a different person outside. And I get to be a yeah. different person. So that's part of it that I feel like I need it and I long for it. But yeah, I need to figure out how to incorporate something more into like a daily regimen or yeah. even like a weekly thing. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I Light would, a fucking candle. I don't know. We'll do a little, I'll be your spiritual director for yes, a second. Please. I never recommend that people do something daily to start out. I always say like, start small do like one thing for a few minutes Mm. maybe a couple times a week if you can get I mean it's your parenting a very young person and is Clementine nine now no eight and a half tell her I said she's nine yeah she'll Um, love it you know so that is a completely different stage of life makes it very difficult to find spiritual practices and or time by yourself yeah so I think starting small and also kind of seeing what you like like I read this book on disciplines like the disciplines usually is like prayer quiet I don't know like the Christian disciplines Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna get into it but this woman wrote this book and it was so balanced because it's the first book on disciplines that I read where she held this space which I think often people in the Christian church do not hold where she was like try this see if it feels good Mm -hmm. if you don't like it Mm -hmm. don't do it move to the next one that is a concept that for me is like again when I went to this life coach lady to help me out specifically wasn't therapy because I didn't want to talk about my past I was like I just want to help with the future so she was the right fit at that time but she too she was like how about because I was that was the time when I had just gotten that drum kit and I really wanted to play the drums yeah. and I was like frustrated by the process and she was like can you be bad at can your job this week is to be bad at playing the drums and it like lifted Whoa. a thing for me of like what would that feel like if I could just do something and be bad or just try it just yeah. like like light like be more light yeah I don't I'm not like good to be at bad that at stuff no I don't like to be bad and I'm not good at being like like just try it see just if you like see it. i'm like full dedication rolling get the yeah. church ready and i want to be ready to fight. the best drummer that's ever yeah, drummed the, first, the time. first time and have somebody be like that was so amazing and i'd be like i know <laughs> like when when people would get uh i'm gonna out myself as somebody that grew up in the charismatic church but i've, I've already done that i've outed myself done as a tongue stalker yeah people would be like oh, oh my i God. got my tongues and it was a different Ew. language yeah and i'd be like that's what I want. So I, I want never that. have to study a language. I remember having fantasies about that too. Like maybe I'm speaking Arabic and I don't know it. It's so stupid. Oh my oh, god! I wish I didn't have to study. <sighs> so that I mean, that's what I would yeah. recommend. I mean, I didn't set out to come and sit in my backyard and look at this tree. Yeah. But my backyard is where I study. You know, like I have all the books that I'm reading. How to be an anti-racist yeah. and my top that's a really good book yeah and my top one right now is grandmother's hands Mm. oh my god Mm. because it's all about dealing with trauma in the body Mm. Mm. so good it's it's, um he is writing it to black and brown people white people and cops oh wow because he's like racism affects yeah yeah so good um you know and so i come back I come out here and then some, I was sitting, you know, closer to my house um, and I could see the wind moving mm. the tree and I was like, oh, that feels so peaceful. Mm. So I just come out, not every day, most days, come out and sit and look at that tree for mm. five minutes, try to practice breathing. Sometimes I put my hand on, some, you know, I feel a little bit nervous because our neighbors can see in and I like to have 
if I if I'm doing something spiritual, I want it to be private. Very private, yes. I don't even want my family to come out and see me. But I will do that technique of putting my hand mm-hmm. on my left hand on my heart and then my right hand on my belly and just kind of try to ground. But I think I've really discovered over this, you know, almost seven months we've been in this that the things that normally work for me are not working right and that's okay so it is the prime time to find something that works yeah and i know that you don't have a lot of time because it's four or two almost next month yeah you know you you don't have a lot of time that's your own and i i mean maybe getting up earlier but who wants so I'm not going to pretend that nothing happened. We lost yeah. a huge chunk of this. It's a little irritating because we were very eloquent. But I do, I, I, I don't, I don't want to miss the opportunity to say that, you know, you and I talked about you getting up earlier. I don't think that you need to get up earlier. I think you're a parent. You've got a almost two-year-old, almost nine-year-old. You're at home. Your husband works from home. I know that feeling. Mm -hmm. There isn't a lot of alone time. But I think that time to do, to figure out what feels good spiritually can be as simple as snatching it when you have it. Like sometimes I randomly get up earlier, not because I want to, but because I can't go back to sleep. And then I'm like, oh, I'll make myself a cup of coffee and I'll sit alone in the living room. Or, you know, like you go into the bathroom and that is the only time really the parents get alone time. Yes. I would lock the door because I was actually going to the bathroom. I wasn't just hiding from my children <laughs> yeah. and I would be like, oh, I've got like three minutes. Yep. And they'd be banging on the door as soon as you go in. I know. It's unbelievable. It's like as soon as you get on the phone. Unbelievable. Like, mommy, mommy. I know. And I would just say, hey, I'm having alone time right now and I'll be out. Just go play or do something. And I thought, I've been in your bathroom. I know you've got candles in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that can be a moment where you get three minutes to yourself. And the ritual of lighting that candle. And I think, yeah, just when you talk about the ritual, I think that's when I talked about, like, wanting something around going back to church even or doing something. Yeah. That idea of something that almost feels sacred for somebody who's not wanted things to feel sacred for much of my life. Yeah. I, like, am longing for that. Something about, like, I'm doing this thing and it's on purpose. Yeah. I Well, I had to have There's this. There's a reason. Any, in my mind, and people may disagree with me, I don't really care. Anything can be sacred. We decide what is sacred. So it can't, for me, having a cup of coffee in the morning is sacred. Sitting out and looking mm-hmm. at this tree is sacred. Going on a walk with my dog sometime, sometimes is sacred. You decide what's sacred. Sometimes the ritual of having tea and pouring that hot water and then the tea bag or whatever you're doing to your tea. I like a little honey in mine usually. Mm. I you like know, too much honey in yeah. mine. <laughs> you know, and then you're watching yeah. the steam. Yeah. You know, anything can be sacred. It's like one thing I'm learning in that book is also he's talking about trauma, but I think the same can be said for sacred or spiritual. It's like, where are you feeling that in your body and does it feel good? Mm. Like when I go to the river spot with Molly, it's sacred because of where I feel it in my body and then the release of the cortisol. Anything that is giving me release from the excess cortisol that I carry Mm -hmm. is like, I'm gonna do that. So how can you find spaces where you get a release from that excess cortisol or just the stress or anxiety of being a parent at any time, but also this time? So you know, Totally. And I was thinking like in terms of like releasing that cortisol, uh, I find myself, I'll like close all the curtains because our house is really open. I feel like anybody can see in anywhere. Mm -hmm. 
And then Clementine has, so I tend to like pretty terrible music when I want to have a dance party. And I was reminded recently how much I love who are now just called the Chicks. You know, they took Dixie oh, yeah. out of their name. Thank goodness. Yes. And I shouldn't love them, but I can't help it. Like, they have like three or four songs that you I sh- you can love them. love them. Yeah. And so Clementine and I have been, and she gets into it. And she hates She hates anything I like. But for some <laughs> reason, we have like in the last two weeks discovered that we can listen to this together and she doesn't get irritated and I don't get irritated by whatever mm. she wants to listen to. So somehow that's our middle ground music taste. And then we will dance and then I'll find myself doing like crazy because I know about like um, the way to like shake our body to shake yeah. cortisol out. You know, she's a stomp and kick and yeah. you're supposed to like do these these nerve kind of almost like punches so i find myself punch dancing because it actually releases you know like (laughs) yeah i was like i think i need a cake i was actually thinking about for christmas i might ask for um a bag to bunch yeah a punching bag you can get those brennan had one she did because i think i would like because i am a somatic like i need to like i'm even finding myself playing like i need to be we have a pink one in zion's closet that you can have i might want that a lot because I, I want to, like, punch the sacred. shit out of something. Yes. And I can make that sacred. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It is sacred because it's somatic. You're getting yeah, like it I out need of to... your body. Well, it's starting to rain. Yeah, it is. So tell me what you want to plug. You wanted to plug I, Yeah, somebody. I mean, oh, yeah. So I've got nothing to plug personally, but um, thinking about the idea of changing the narrative, too, around black people and in our in our culture. But this guy, uh, Toby Ngiwe, he's like Nigerian immigrants, my understanding. And he makes beautiful music and beautiful art with his wife. And I think mm. it's his cousin or niece. Um, and they make music together. And I've just, it's brought me so much joy. He, does he have a grill? Yeah. Yes, in some, I do in follow some, him. Yeah, in some of... Is his wife pregnant? She was, I think, in Nashville. I yes. think she's got the, the bibbit now. They are amazing. Yeah, and it just brings me it's good perspective yeah. change and enjoy that total joy. Like, yeah, and he comes so. from like an evangelical background, which will like pop through sometimes in his interviews and music. And I I'm like, that. oh, Todd, it's like I know you, but I don't know you. Yeah. So Todd and I were talking about that because, I mean, you've lived in Africa and I've lived in Africa, and I think. just my friends that are still there you know yeah. my African friends that my black African friends yes. that are there have tended to be on the evangelical yes. charismatic it's, side yes. and I think Todd asked me or somebody asked me that that doesn't bother you and I'm like no no I it's a completely different world mm-hmm. and it's not my world anymore but I I I get it. And so yeah. like where where white people talking evangelical is a complete trigger for me. African black African people talking evangelical does not trigger me. Right. In that it's way. different. Yeah, it's just a different Right. Well thing. anything right, it's not the American version. No. So it is different. And that's true. I mean, yes, we won't get into how that's probably tied to colonialism. Mm-hmm. But, but I had a lot of amazing experiences there that yeah. I am forever grateful to that so it also yeah. alters for me we won't get into your i was like hey, anyways I've left, left, let's do that one let's do that one another time <laughs> thank you yeah thank you and for rolling with the um punches and also the punches of the the recording stopping <laughs> missing yeah. all of our genius yeah oh well but no i do ever know i do appreciate you taking your time it's valuable to me Thanks. i do want to leave everybody with something that I always leave you with. But first I want to say, I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you staying, even though I've taken a break to rest and find new people to talk to and also um, send my daughter out into the world. And yeah, that's a whole thing. (laughs) I needed time. I'm going to be working through that. I'm turning 50 and I'm taking my daughter to university all on the same day. And I have a lot of feelings about it. And I think that's just kind of the way of life. But anyway, I needed the break. And I appreciate everybody that stayed and listened. And everybody that's um, said kind words to me. And I want you to remember who you are. You are worth knowing. You are worth loving. You are worth being in this world. Thanks, everybody. Take care.